Welcome to the Ether. Today is Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. Today on the Ether, DeFi 101, Episode 2, hosted by Cosmos Joe, featuring Eric and Kem from Archway and Labs on Tokenomics. Let's take a listen. Well, I see people filing in, which is awesome. I, uh, I know Eric and I have talked a bunch of times, kind of superficially about tokenomics in general and uh you know that's basically your role over with uh with on archway right yeah so i am officially the token economics lead i've done tokenomics consulting quite a bit um they wanted me full-time i'm like i usually tokenomics is like several months of like setup and then maybe some maintenance but like i didn't know if there'd be enough work for like full time but they've got me helping out with some like marketing with the Argent podcast and some biz dev help as well but officially yes token economics oh really cool man and we've got tank here i just gave the mic to crypto chem who also i've talked to a bunch of times and actually i don't know if, if chem knows this but a while back when i talked to him we had like a zoom meeting it wasn't recorded or anything he actually helped me a lot kind of direct me and like what to look at as far as like proof of stake. And, you know, he, at that time he was telling me a little bit about secret network and that got me interested in privacy. So definitely appreciate that you guys are up here. Yeah, man. I actually remember that quite well. It was, it was pretty cool. Just to have a conversation about the general cosmos. That was before I yeah, ever even do I, YouTube. It might be because in the beginning I was, what I did was to get up to speed. I was just harassing validators just asking questions and just bothering them pretty much. That's, that's what I was doing. Well, it was worth it. Oh, for sure, man. For sure. And uh, tank. Good to have you up here too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's a, the honor is all mine surrounded by some great individuals. All right. I think we could, uh, I think we can get started. I don't, I don't see any reason why we could, we need to keep waiting. We got some good people in here in the audience and you know, this is a little bit different than the other spaces that I that I have normally conducted. This is more educational where we have one topic, we stick to it. And I'd like to leave time at the end for people to come up, ask questions. So in the beginning, it's DeFi 101. So I'd like to do some like basic info about tokenomics, tokens in general. Then we could talk a little bit about Archway for a little bit before we even get to the questions. Hopefully that's okay with with you guys. Absolutely. Hey man, it's your show. All right. So I was thinking today, you know, what is actually the definition of tokenomics? And this is the, the best that I could come up with is, is this. And then you guys can let me know what I'm missing. What, what I came up with is tokenomics is the science of distributing tokens over a certain amount of time, and then the art of creating demand for the token. That, that's the best I can come up with. You guys let me know what I'm missing, but I was thinking about it all day. Science and art, I love it. Yeah, the, the science part is tokenology. I'm more into tokenosophy. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, think that's, I think that's fantastic. A lot of people just think it's uh, numbers and just polishing up and uh, make, like, like there's some super, super sophisticated science into initial distributions when you can just like adjust everything else through inflation and DAO parameters later on. Um, I think that the art idea is much more fitting and um, really just designing the utility and the structure and the flow of the token. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a lot of game theory to it. it it's not necessarily, like you said, a science. A lot of it's just trying to understand um, how people think and then building mechanisms that, that work with that. 
and it, it and it's always curious to me how the tokens are designed one way for one set of market conditions and then they're almost never modified when the market conditions completely flip you know they do a 180 and what i have noticed is when i go through especially with my old tokens that i was buying in like 2017 at that time some of those tokens were some of like the the better known projects it was like v chain uh digibyte um i i forget verge all those tokens were really popular like in 2017 they did not pump with the rest of the market in 2020 and 2021 right and a lot of it has to do with the project itself but i'm sure a lot of it has to do with the with the tokenomics. Uh, maybe I, I can't speak too much to them, but um, uh, yeah. It, if there's anything with tokenomics that only work with one side of the market, then it's it's inherently very very flawed. Uh, one um, like one project I actually I really loved the project and their tokenomics were terrible, and so I I wouldn't touch it. But I, I admired a lot of what they built, and that's Auto Shark Finance. It was um, it was a an AMM farm on Binance Smart Chain. And their idea was that they would print tokens to meet the desired APR. And their, their whole thing was like, as price goes up, inflation goes down. Like, look, that's, that's well and great. But as price goes down, inflation goes up. You can't just like ignore that flip side of the coin. And sure enough, after like their third uh, flash loan attack, they, they spiraled in a uh, officially like uh, quit, I believe, like they did eventually leave. And so any anything that uh, assumes anything about the market assumes any set of activity by users is inherently flawed like but the most important part of game theory is figuring out exactly how to break your model making sure they can only bend and not break and then uh furthermore quantifying how expensive it is to bend when i when i go on like coin gecko or coin market cap they do have some tokenomics i don't know if you want to call them metrics or or indicators you know, it's like circulating supply and, you know, all that. What, what are some of the things to look at when you want to even start understanding tokenomics? Understanding what exists or understanding what makes sense, because it's very different. Uh, <laughs> let's start with what let, let, let's start with what information is available on a site like that. And if we could use that as a basis of comparison to, you know, let's say put two tokens side by side that might have be aiming for similar use cases what's useful to compare those two for as far as easily obtained information let's say okay so usually the first things you're going to find out about a token um are, are going to be the total supply the like how much like if there is a fixed cap what that fixed cap is and when they're going to get there the current supply uh both circulating and like current total supply and then the emission schedule so how like is there a thirdening or having for some I, I'm not a big fan of uh, fixed cap supplies. I'll probably talk crap on them quite a bit in this in this space. But at what point uh, the emissions change and where they're directed? Do they go to users? Do they go to team? Do they go to stakers, etc.? Um, so the yeah, the first step is basically token issuance, and then after that, it's token utility. How and when do you use the token? And one of the most important things is uh, if the project itself is able to attain its vision, does it necessitate the heavy utility demand and value capture of the token, which often is not actually the case. Often is not actually the case. Right. That, that's going to be one of my later questions. But for now, I sometimes see max supply and total supply. Those are different, correct? Yeah, my bad. I, I described max supply instead of total supply. So total supply is current overall supply circulating and non-circulating. And then max would be that eventual threshold where they pretend they're not going to mint tokens past it. Right, right. So th that's what you meant by fixed cap, right? That's that's the, like in, in Bitcoin's case, that's programmed into Bitcoin. It's going to have 21 million, whatever tokens. That would be the max supply. Those are not, that's not the supply that's in circulation now. Right. That is uh, currently programmed in. I strongly uh, expect it to eventually break that supply. <laughs> um, yeah, but... uh. Yeah, a lot of the current projects that do have max supplies do not have that actually programmed in currently. Right, right, right. And then, then there are some some tokens that have no max supply, right? Atom is one of them. Uh, Dot is another one. I don't know if Ethereum has a max supply now that it's proof of stake, but when it was proof of work, I'm pretty sure it was uncapped. It does not have a max supply. 
Yeah, mo most token models, especially in the Cosmos, uh, do not have max supplies because they have uh, perpetual inflation. So there's always going to be an uh, ability to continue uh, printing more tokens. Or I guess, Got it. I guess, distributing more issuing. T Tank, what do you look at as far as tokenomics? Something that's kind of easily pulled off a website. You know, I was actually asking myself that and I was wondering uh, in, in what order, as Eric was explaining how he views it, uh, like in what order I stress the importance. Uh, and it's, it's very similar to what Eric, I actually wanted to ask uh, before I answer that, because I think Eric's going to probably say the same thing as me. It, it, in the explanation that you just said, is that any the particular order that you view tokenomics for any particular thing that you're looking at online? No, I don't think that any of what I mentioned is actually very important. That That's just what's easily okay. accessible to what people compare. <laughs> okay. And something else I wanted to bring up before we get into some of the other um, part of tokenomics that's not easily accessible. A lot of the tokens have... Um, a lot, first of all, the main use case for a lot of the tokens is to pay the team that creates them. So they have these vested tokens, right? And these unlocks. And we know, we know, well, we don't know. Some people know that Osmosis has a massive amount of unlock, uh, unlocking tokens this year, right? And Osmosis, the price has taken a beating. And now we're going to have something like 40% of this uh, uh, increase in the amount of tokens from now till the end of the year. Is that programmed in? How can somebody find that information? Um, and can you just explain the concept of vesting? Yeah, so um, usually, yes, if, if you check deep enough, usually the vesting is done on chain. Um, I, I know, like pretty much all projects will have this kind of like vesting period, especially for core contributors and investors. And a lot of times they'll give kind of overview details of that um, vesting and unlock schedule in. Uh, tokenomic papers or blogs they put out. Um, I don't know where to find it on chain, but if you do enough research into the investment rounds, I believe Osmosis um, did a lot of like OTC deals. It's uh, they, most people don't make it super accessible, so it is definitely worth looking into and finding because it's it's important. What what it seems to me is a lot of those tokens are minted at Genesis and they're just set aside. So technically, they're they're part of the supply but they're not circulating at that moment. And then let's say a year goes by, you know, the, they, they, they become vested or, or they finish some type of vesting schedule. Those become available to the different members of the team. Is that, is that about right? And they could sell them or do whatever. Yeah. And so typically how it works is you have a, what's called a TGE, which is your token generation event. Um, that's normally the start of the chain, right? That's when you have the initial um, emission start. And when that happens, there's normally a certain amount of tokens that are allocated to the team, um, treasury, uh, maybe staking rewards, what have you. And those are typically locked in con vesting contracts. And those vesting, those tokens are, like you said, not technically in the liquid supply because um, they can't be traded. So essentially, you can think about them like as a lockup, like you would see in a traditional um, vesting schedule. And then over time, over they're time. released, but it can really be released in multiple different ways. And that's always that that release schedule is going to vary project by project, just based on whatever the team dreamt up at at the that initial token creation event, right? Correct. There, there's no standard, um, you know, vesting or, or time that a team needs to withhold their their I guess tokens before selling. Uh, I believe like Kanto was one where the the initial supply was released immediately without any vesting for anybody. Um, that was one thing I actually pointed out because I thought it was really odd. Um, you don't see that very often, but it's it's certainly possible. All right. Um, what are some of the metrics we could look at that maybe are not commonly used or just not commonly sought out? Because people like me, just we just don't know any better. We'll go to CoinGecko, but there's a bunch of other stuff I would imagine Eric alluded to earlier. So the next stage of things that are not very important before we get to what is important, because... What is important look makes almost everything just look really bad, and it's difficult to track because nobody really considers it. So <laughs> I, I think sequentially we should go to the next thing that people look at, and that's going to be um, comparing arbitrary metrics, uh, such as like for AMMs, like you'll see a bunch of comparisons of like market like market cap to FD, like or sorry market cap to TVL comparisons, like oh well this one has twice as much TVL as this exchange, but its market cap's only one and a half times. 
And, <laughs> um, and similarly, you'll see um, like overall transactions on a layer one compared to like the market cap of their token. And seeing all of these comparisons strongly suggests that the the market cap and transactions on the L1 or the market cap and the TPL on the AMM um, should be strongly correlated. <laughs> but um, I argue that they're like completely separate and don't actually matter at all unless we go to what does actually matter. And that is uh, things like revenue and expenses. Like we, we get so creative with tokenomics that we ignore basic business. And that is that every product is or should be selling something and they're able to capitalize on what they sell if you're a layer one then you need to be commoditizing your block space you are a product that sells your block space as a service um and then you are able to also like expense things away in a decentralized fashion through inflation which is in, in my argument like what exactly what you should do in web3 but uh Right now, we just kind of ignore all of that. So I, I say follow the money, follow the revenue, and almost all projects have zero. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I mean, in the beginning, they try to get away with using inflation, right, to create the illusion that that let's just let's just say there's an application, right, and it's on a different, it's not on its own blockchain. Let's say it's a Dex on Ethereum or Solana or something. When they first launch, they do all these different tricks to attract liquidity. They're going to put their own token in there. They're going to have these APRs to get users to lock up liquidity. And then they, they ramp up that liquidity pretty good in the beginning. Um, but the point of the decks is not to have liquidity pools, right? You said it earlier, the point of the deck should be to make money somehow, right? How's a deck's going to make money once they, let's say they, they're successful in attracting liquidity. And how, and how can that be tracked by a user? How do we know if the DEX is making money? I'll let Eric answer that. But yeah, that's one thing that people, I guess, need to separate is like, you're either building a public good or you're building something that you're expecting to create value. Um, it, I wouldn't invest in a public good necessarily because I don't expect it to create any sort of monetary value, although I would expect to be to use it. So that's where it's, I think, something people need to kind of think about when they're you know, think about tokens they want to buy is, is this necessary and will it accrue value over time? And when I say that, I, I kind of mean like actual monetary value, not necessarily um, this this value in governance, for, for example. Yeah, so I'll dive into this AMM example. Uh, excellent points, Kim. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> so let's let's start from the beginning. The, the first real popular AMM, there were a couple of attempts before it, but Uniswap. You take this idea that like, okay, there are currently decentralized exchanges, they're risky, we want to create, like, we want to abstract away from centralized exchanges, which we can now do with smart contracts. And centralized exchanges charge a 0.2, 0.3% fees for trades, and that goes to the team to pay for their operations. So they're they're making the, the revenue from those trade fees, and uh, <laughs> and that's how they run their business. Cool, great, everyone accepts that. So now... Uniswap comes along and they want to do the same thing, except they need liquidity for to like pools to function and they have to be able to incentivize that liquidity. So what they do is they just like they create it, some liquidity comes and they give that 0.2, 0.3% trade fee to the liquidity providers instead. Now, that 0.2, 0.3% fees was the revenue for the team on the centralized exchange. And now they're giving away what would be the revenue to the liquidity providers, and there's no revenue left over. So how do they make money? And they're like, oh, and let's print a token, because we could do that now, and uh, we'll sell it to people. And it worked. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's the thing about Uniswap is a, is a really odd example, actually, because you would think there would be tons of improvements since Uniswap. And I think Uniswap is still like the standard as far as like, dexes go and just how simple it is well v3 is a little not not as simple as v2 but there, there was uniswap before there was the token if you're if you're new to cosmos that's like an unheard unheard concept to you right there was uniswap before there was a token and it did not make revenue for the developers any like what people consider revenue if you google what revenue is for them like it will say that revenue is the trade fees that goes to LPs, but that's not actually revenue for the company. That's revenue for the LPs. And so because they and so right. because they didn't have revenue, they created the token and sold it. And no value actually goes to that token, yet it's worth 
$5.4 billion. The, the thing that's funny about Uniswap is there is an option that could be turned on to increase the fees so that the developers do get something. I think it's like 0.01 or 0.005, something like that. And they just never turned it on. I don't think unless they've done it recently, but they, they went the token route instead, I guess. Uh, so, Were they the ones that, uh, so, yeah, you, you, you probably have a better uh, picture of this than I do. Yeah. So it's, it's the switch. They, so now instead of like, instead of the revenue going to the company, now the company has the token. And so now the goal would be to have revenue go to the token. And so the switch of 0.05% trade fee could be turned on at any time. And then part of the trade fees, instead of going to LPs would go to the token holders. And then the token holders finally have, uh, revenue. So their whole thing is like, oh, we don't have revenue, but we could turn it on at any time. And a lot of the primary LPs are like, do it. We're just going to go to Sushi Swap. So, <laughs> so it's um, kind of like there's a potential for revenue, but as soon as they use the potential for revenue, the potential for revenue like goes away, and realistically they're left with no revenue. And that and that kind of is that mercenary capital idea, right? Like you, you provide incentives to bring this liquidity to your decks, but once you take those incentives away, they're gone. So, so it's it's really not a necessarily healthy relationship. Yeah, no, I could definitely see that. You see that just if you if you could live through a bull in a bear market, right? You you see, like you know, I I use Osmosis probably more than any other app on any chain, and it's amazing because they have like one tenth of the liquidity on the decks than was in a single pool at at the the height of the bull market, there was like a billion dollars almost in one pool. Now there's like about a 10th of that, I think on the whole decks, I could be a little off, but it's something like that. Um, let's, let's, let's shift this tokenomics discussion to a layer one, your new layer one. Obviously you need a token. Otherwise you wouldn't create a whole layer one. Uh, what, what's the, I guess I'll, I'll ask Eric first and then uh, tank and, and chem as well what's the quote unquote better or right way to to do this if you're the if you're the creator let's say of the blockchain you're going to make a a, a a token so you have to figure out what you're selling and to who and how to package it and the only layer one that's actually done this properly is ethereum and people complain all they want to about oh 400 gas fees this is ridiculous but people are paying it the demand is high enough to be paying that gas fee, that gas fee is being burned, which means if you still want to have access to that blockchain, because they are properly commoditizing their block space, they're selling access. You want to come use our dApps? Here you go, come use it. But you have to go buy Ethereum to use it. And so in order, in order to have access, in order to use it, it necessitates the price of Ethereum going up. That is great tokenomics. Since we are- Right, well, the, uh, the, the whole bull market, all you heard- was people complaining about the Ethereum gas fees, but I don't think the Ethereum gas fees really hurt Ethereum itself. People were dying to use it. And I remember I talked to somebody who worked for some company and they and the company was going to deploy a smart contract on Ethereum and it was going to cost like, I think it was going to cost like fifteen or twenty thousand dollars in gas just to get the smart contract running on Ethereum. And he was telling them, don't do it now. Wait till eleven o'clock at night and you'll save like fifty or sixty percent. And they, they said, no, they just, they're like, why are we going to wait? Just do it now. We need it. They didn't care. They didn't care that the, what the gas fees were. I don't know what they were doing with the smart contract, but they basically punted $20,000 just to get it on the damn chain. Yeah, 100%. And so the response to that is everyone's like, well, we need layer ones that can process more transactions and have consistently lower gas fees. And that's great. And you can do that. And, people, and that's good for dApps. However, it's not good for the price of the layer one token that you're using if you're not actually like having to pay, if they can't properly commoditize the block space, if they can't even like potentially restrict access. So what we're doing is we're using the much better technology that exists in Cosmos where we can process way more transactions per second, but we're properly commoditizing it where we like are adding like token burns and whatnot through the utility of the contracts and we're adding an additional layer. So while we might not be priced as high as Ethereum, that makes also the gas way, way, way cheaper. But we have a lot more block space to sell, so we can uh, we can uh, do that, which is great. But also, we're adding this another level of giving rewards to developers. One issue on Ethereum is like if you build a contract there, then people might have to spend two hundred, four hundred dollars to use it, and you don't get any of that money on Archway if you come and build it out. Not only do you get gas rebates, you also get part of the inflation that's reserved for developers, and you get like 
the sovereignty, the customization of being able to charge however much you want for anybody to use your contract. So if you build, you build tooling, you can allow other dApps to use your tooling, but they have to pay you to use it. Tank, you looked into Archway probably a lot deeper than I did. Um, wh- what have you got as far as your, uh, your research? Well, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I just wanted to kind of go back uh, to your original question. And I think obviously Eric killed it. Um, but I, I agree with him wholeheartedly. I think one of the first things in order, if you're a new uh, team trying to do it the right way, I mean, I think you first got to understand you know, what your target is and what your use case is. And I think that's probably one of the most frustrating things. You know, we've talked about this many times, Joe, about, uh, you know, not just the Cosmos ecosystem, but many different spaces. It's like, you know, you can have these, like, I'm just going to say Juno first. Excuse me. I don't know what's going on. Excuse me. But I'm going to say Juno for for one thing. Like, it's great. Like, yeah, you can come in there, permissionless, you can build whatever. But you can see the people that come and build, like, you know, they're not even using Juno. They just build their own little ecosystem within it, microeconomic system that's however they want to make it work. And then they just forget all about, you know, the technology that let them build it. Um, And so I think Ethereum was absolutely genius in that way where it's like, yeah, you come in here, but you got to use Ethereum and Ethereum was the, you know, the the thing that was the, that you were transacting with. And uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. Like the, the prices were high, but if you, you know, the people that like myself that were using it, I didn't complain. A lot of other people weren't complaining. It was just what, one of the things that is what it is. Um, as far as Archway, I, I love uh, when I dug into it. I just, I love their approach. Like Eric already hit it on the head. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're doing it in a more realistic, uh, sustainable and maintainable fashion for the long term. And like, you know, I just vibed with it from the very get go. So, yeah. And Cam, I know you were psyched to uh, get affiliated with Archway. Do you have any anything else to add into that, especially for people that are here that maybe Archway is not on the radar yet just because, you know, it hasn't hasn't gone live and there's no there's no airdrop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm very excited to be to be involved with Labs, obviously, as we're one of the core contributors to Archway. Um, and yeah, it was just because I, me and Eric have been talking about this for, I'd say, over a year um, in private, just about the lack of real economics going on in the space. Um, and, you know, Cosmos itself is a very mature tech but the actual economics inside the cosmos ecosystem is very immature um we've copied a lot of models that that haven't really proven to be working um and we just keep keep reusing them as if that is the gold standard and i i just think we need to take a step back take that first principles approach and and reassess it and i think that's what archway did was you know how do we take a look at this and, and really build something that makes sense um not because everyone else has done it but because it actually just makes sense and that's, I think, where the difference is. Yeah, I think when I look around and I, I you know, I, um, I'm a teacher, but before I was a teacher, I ran, I ran um, retail stores and I had like a budget and I had to like allocate my time a certain way. I had to rearrange my products a certain way to, you know, have the highest velocity of, of sales from different sections of the store. And, and then I come into Web3 and I'm like, holy hell. I don't think these people know that these are products like they're, they're building something that takes forever. It's a product. It's like a Dex is a product or service. A NFT exchange marketplace is a product or a service. Dow Dow is a product. Right. And, and then I'm looking at the tokenomics. I'm like, where are these APRs coming from? And why is everyone shocked that during the bear market, the, the tokens sold off, you know, five times harder than you know the rest of the market at large the stocks and everything else so um it's to me it's just a it's like a a business sense that's lacking and it's it's not only economics it's like you know when you go into a store i'm sure that the restaurant would love or restaurant would love to sell you a steak for a dollar but they just cannot and it just it's not possible the the employees would all get fired and the restaurant would close so i think that some of these applications need to operate that way and if they're good enough people will have to be okay with paying a little bit to to use them somehow or they have to get monetized a different way yeah you gotta jump in uh, yeah, you're spot on in that they can't sell the steak for a dollar. And I, I've been predicting this for a while. And I, I thought it was funny because my episode with uh, Citizen Cosmos just came out today and we recorded it a couple months ago. And I, I kind of got into this when I was I was explaining that a lot of these people that are building network goods are going to are going to be cut off because the funding's not there. The, like you have to get the revenue in order to disperse the funds properly. And we're giving out the funds before we receive them 
but we have no means of receiving them. And we're giving them out all to validators and not covering public goods, not covering content creation. Like so many of the expenses that are meant to be decentralized aren't because we're just way overpaying validators and have no means of getting revenue. So it's going to fall apart in things like Confio, like saying like, hey, guys, we have to close up shop. It's going to continue happening because they're like the entire economic system in place is not designed to um, <laughs> is not designed to economically scale. Exactly. I, exactly. The, the, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say that just the, like the term public good, it sounds great. It sounds great. But the, the public goods, if they constantly need funding and then during a bear market, no one's using them, it, it's a liability. It's not a public good. And if you have to keep going to the community pool to fund whatever the upkeep is on the, these, these various public goods, I, I think it's kind of vague anyway to call something a public good just because it needs to get funded externally. Um, I, I don't see how that's helping the ecosystem at large, especially if no one's using it now that, you know, transactions are down across the board and volumes down across the you, board. You, you know, what's really funny. I just want to say uh, recently, I think I just saw a little while ago, actually, where uh, some uh, ecosystems have stepped in and uh, like just approved uh, funding for them. And I just immediately in my head went, OK, well, that's great. Like, good. They get a little you know, uh, a boost for, for now to keep their head above water, but like, what's going to change as far as like their whole structure, their whole business structure, like what, what you know, what's going to happen. I don't know how long the funding will last, but you know, what happens after a year to year when the money runs dry, then what? That's, that's every, that's every application that's not monetized, I guess. Yeah. And that's a great point. What is going to happen? I think I saw, uh, Confio has a $2 million burn rate per year. Um, so that that means they perpetually need to be raising two million dollars, right? So if you're not generating the revenue, then you have to go raise it. And this no, they, need, they need to raise to more them. than two million. They need to raise above that, and that's like, yeah. So yeah, that's break even, right? <laughs> and and that's the thing. Most of these projects are built in in such a way that they're not generating actual revenue or fees. Therefore, the only way for them to survive is to have constant money flow in from from external parties like like users or retail. Or to continually fundraise and, and and get investments, and that's just not how business works, right? Like eventually, you have to be a a post revenue type product or service, um, and that's something that we're really trying to to take, you know, and to make a a key thing about Archway is like this is something that can actually accrue value and then over time become sustainable. Or or, or they, oh, I'm sorry, Joe. Or no, you you create an artificial leg of uh, support for yourself. For the short term, create a create another uh, thing in the ecosystem that you can uh, socially and financially civil attack uh, with airdrops, and then just keep on going like we've been going. <laughs> well, I want to I want to talk about Archway specifically now. It, get into exactly what they're doing different, and if Eric is allowed to give information about the uh, the, the Arch token, that would be pretty cool. Um, is that right? If we shift gears to Archway, yeah, sure. Um... <laughs> So, oh man, yeah. <clears throat> well, say it, Eric. Eric just say it, say Eric. It, Eric. <laughs> no, that that's that's an uh, that's for an unrecorded space on a weekend. I think that, that is that <laughs> conversation. <laughs> we, we we do it a lot better. I I guess I won't get into more names of but more of what you guys are on the right path. I can explain a lot better about how that's actually working specifically with different groups in crypto, and then what that actually correlates to in, in the real world because it would kind of blow your guys' mind. But just archway, do it. You guys have you guys have five minutes? <laughs> that is All right. Screw it. Um, you guys are talking about well, you're going to have to keep raising funds. You're going to have to keep printing money, and that's true. What happens when Osmosis reaches its max supply? Like right now, twenty five percent of inflation goes to the team. Fourteen percent goes to LPs. Like, will they continue building out when there's no more inflation? It's like, oh well, at that point, trade fees. Will, will trade fees go to liquidity, or will it go to the team? Will they have to keep printing money because everyone that has a max supply right now? when they reach that max supply, will no longer be incentivized to build and will not actually be self-sufficient. So they're either going to fall apart and rug or they're going to print past the max supply. So max supplies are done, like just dead in the water. Uh, you get to Atom 2.0, which I was opposed to. I was opposed to Atom 2.0 and 1.0. Both of them were garbage. And if you look at 2.0, it's like, oh, we're going to print 20% of the supply and give it to us. That's great. What happens when you run out? You're going to have to print it again because you don't have a means of sustainable funding. And when you look at these models in real world situations, um, you have inflation to cover public goods. That's market socialism. And you combine it with a monetaristic policy where you look at inflation based on how much money you print rather than the, the network effects of the price, like uh, 
CPI, for example, in the United States, that's just the price change of the dollar. It has nothing to do with how many dollars we print. You'd be like, oh, inflation's 9%. When we printed 50% of the dollar supply, I save inflation's 50%, and we're going to feel that eventually. Now, uh, <laughs> you can use this inflation to pay for public goods, as you should, and the, the expense of that is felt by everyone else who has the dollar. The expense of it is the, the uh, overall dilution. And so then you have to figure out how many, like how much public goods should we pay for because we're all paying for it with the, with the dilution, with um, the negative price of the dollar. And in crypto, we're experiencing that dilution and we're not even paying for the public goods. So we're getting the worst of both worlds. And if you front run the expected price effects, it goes to the price of everything being zero. All right. Well, I mean, like I said, that could be a four hour conversation. You know, and Tank and I even talked about this in like the summertime where I was on a spaces. I'm like, I can't believe that people are happy to come to a a, a system where 60, 70 percent inflation is the norm. But in, in the real world, like five to seven percent inflation breaks their back. And it, 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 it does. It never made sense to me. Obviously, I'm I'm speculating. I don't consider myself an investor in most of these projects. I consider myself heavily speculating comma gambling but i want i would definitely want to spend at least like <clears throat> like seven eight minutes specifically on what archway is doing how tokenomics can be you know just better thought out and then i'd be happy to bring people up to ask questions yeah so archway specifically understands that like most of what has been built is not to scale we understand that a protocol is also a product a product a product call as i call it and they want to build something that's sustainable that's scalable that will continue to be usable at any price range, but also have the utility that it provides um, successfully capture the value of that. And so in, like, it'll still be Cosmos-based, it'll still have its own validator set, it will still have inflation, albeit lower than Adam's range, but it'll have an inflation range. Um, not all of that inflation will go to validators. We will take a flat rate, which will be governable by the DAO and have it reserved for, um, for contract creators. So that um, for the developers, which we want to make sure that they're perennially incentivized at any price range to come and work for themselves on our network and whatever transaction we get um, leads to more burned arch. So part of arch from every transaction gets burned. Part of arch from every transaction goes to developers. Part of inflation from every block goes to validators. Part of every inflation per block goes to developers. And then developers also get the customization of being able to set their own price to interact with their fees. So those are the that's generically how it works. And we've got a bunch of parameters in place. I'm a 30 something pages into an econ paper that I'm not sure when they're going to choose to publish, but it will be a bit of a behemoth. But think think um, Adam's great tech, uh, Ethereum's better economics, and we're bettering both of them. We've built our own Cosmos SDK modules uh, to add to Cosmos SDK, and um, it, it, <laughs> it should be much better. Yeah, and just, yeah, to, just add, to add, what are you yeah, get, I was going to ask you to jump in as well, Kem. Um, my favorite part, and I come from a finance background, so I, I just absolutely love this part about it, was the the premium. Uh, adding that additional premium to the gas to allow applications or smart contract developers to have a set amount that they can expect to receive per transaction um, kind of changes the game. I mean, it allows you to, one, you know, plan. You can actually forecast and understand what your revenue could be based on transaction number or volume. Um, you can understand what inflation is going to be, which is your expense. Um, or what you're going to have to spend on infrastructure. It allows people to start actually looking at a protocol or an application, I should say, um, like you would a product or service or a business and be able to determine what it's worth to a user and create competition. If you have too much of a premium, people won't use your application. But at least you can decide at that point, if you have the best application, people will pay to use it. We're seeing it on Ethereum. They'll pay thousands of dollars to get one transaction in a block. So will they pay an extra couple cents to get their transaction to block for your application? Most likely. Um, and I think that's that's something that is kind of surprising. It hasn't really been um, talked about or brought up more in this space, but it, it's something that I think Archway is going to definitely be um, utilizing. All right. And, and Eric said something earlier that if you're a layer one, your product is your block space. What about if you're an, an application that's deployed on the chain? Your product is... The, the front facing application or is there something else that maybe the end user doesn't see that's making the application sustainable because there's some fee or or um some monetization happening 
Uh, it, it depends. It usually is what's forward facing, but it really depends on the, on the nature of the application. But it's the duty and responsibility of that application to understand its, its actual business model, to understand where it's going to get revenue from. And if it hasn't asked, asked itself that question and properly enumerated, like, okay, this is my source of revenue. This is my North Star. I have to optimize for this. And then if I have weird tokenomic stuff, incentivize that because that is what's going to bring me revenue. If it hasn't done that, then it, it, it's, not, it's got nothing. And you said the oh, good, good. No, I'm just gonna say the one thing I like that Eric says a lot that I think is just the great way to describe it is you're commoditizing block space. That's what you're doing. It's a commodity. There's limited amount of block space, and therefore you have to pay for it. Um, it, it's like any other commodity. The more demand there is, the higher the price should go. And I can tell by the way you guys are talking that maybe uh, there's not going to be only one application on Archway. I'm guessing. I'm familiar with uh, one or two or four or five and uh, rapidly growing and uh, rapidly. So yes, does, yes. does, does, the, <laughs> does, does the, um, does the app chain model um, eliminate competition for block space then? And then does that suppress any value that would normally go to the layer one token? I guess just one thing I would say is that app chains definitely um, do a good job of their one purpose, but you're kind of fragmenting the user experience at, at, at some point. Um, if you have to go between a bunch of different app chains to do basic you know, DeFi or to do a couple of different things, that, that doesn't actually create the best user experience. Um, whereas if you can somehow find a way to, von- or to incentivize these applications to continually build on your network, it, it creates this network effect. And therefore, I think it does have, the app chain doesn't actually accrue as much value as a DAP would to a layer one. Got it. Got it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Anything else you guys want, want to add about just value capture then? Um, I'd just like to add about the app chain that it does make sense for a lot of things sure. to um, build out as an app chain. And there is more sovereignty in an app chain than a DAP, but each project should do a cost benefit analysis. And I go over Mach 1 in the econ paper where I go over like exactly how expensive it is to run an app chain. And so like if you need something like sub one second block, ch- block times, then like you're not going to build as a DAP on Archway if we've got six second blockchains. Like it's just, but if that's not very important, then you're not like really gaining that much sovereignty unless you're doing something drastically different with your sovereignty than would exist as a DAP chain. We already lower the barrier of entry with refillable fee grant modules, which is like already super cool. Uh, so it's just how much more do you have to spend to be an app chain, which we argue more than $3 million per year, um, sometimes, oftentimes way more than $3 million per year. Uh, compared to how much benefit do you get not being a DAP? Like you have to hire protocol engineers, you have to print tons of inflation, you have to pay for wallet integrations, uh, block explorers. Like it is very expensive to run a DAP, an app chain. And if you're not making a ton of revenue, and, and additionally a ton of revenue more than you would as an as a DAP, then it's just really not worth it. And so we argue launch as a DAP first, and then scale your way up. And if you eventually need more block space or more sovereignty or whatnot will help you spin off to be a side chain or something like you can always spin out and make your own chain but everybody just launching as an app chain originally and then just printing out two million dollars worth of their token and hiring an additional four people with uh six figure plus salaries is just not sustainable all right yeah i mean one of the things i thought that i would see in the bear market is validator set shrinking i thought i would see more chains halting i'm surprised that a lot of these chains are still up and running because obviously there is a cost to run these chains. It, 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 there's no way that, you know, at least out of the gate, most of these chains are, are or the, let's just look at the validators, right? How many, how many validators in a brand new chain that has minimal traffic are actually in the green, probably like the top 10% or top 20%, if I was going to guess. If they launched as, as just an application, let's say on Juno, on Archway or whatever, they don't have that expense so they could get into the green faster maybe they could develop a lot faster and even get to profitability as an app chain faster when normally it would take forever or never happen is that the right way to think about it uh yeah from the validator side that that's one good way to look at it um yeah yeah and and i i I run a few validators and i can speak to the fact that yeah some of them are running at a loss right now um a lot of the validators are continuing to validate because they believe in the in the chain or the product and they expect it to rebound, but there's no guarantees there. So I have seen a few different chains kind of start to lose validators and, and it's unfortunate, but it's 
not something that it should be unexpected. Um, at a certain point, <clears throat> if you're not providing enough value and volume um, to your chain, there's just not enough incentive to give out. Um, and and at, at a certain point, you're going to run out of liquidity to even give. All right. I, wa I want to invite people up. Some people did request mics. I want to invite people up to ask a couple questions, and I don't want this to go beyond an hour, but we got a solid 15 minutes for questions. Before we do that, maybe each one of you, and I'll stay out of it because this is recorded. Um, I, each one of you just choose one token that you think the tokenomics are pretty good outside of Ethereum, let's say. Uh, Tank, why don't you start it off? Oh, man. Um... To be honest, I can be a critic about all of them, so I don't know if any of them are actually any good. <laughs> to be fucking fair, dude. Um, yeah. I was just going to save Eric the time because I know he's going to say none. Uh, but I guess for me, I, like I said, a lot of these, these token models are very much based on each other, right? Like People are using what they've seen done before, so it, it's hard for me to say that one's really good or not. But I would say Kujira's done a, at least something different, right? They took out the inflation. Um, and basically said all of our fees or all of our um, rewards or incentives are going to be based off actual fees generated. I think that's a good start. Um, and then on top of that, they've actually subsidized validators. So by subsidizing validators with a fixed amount per month to allow them to run um, at least break even, I think is a step in the right direction. Um, but at the same time, I think me and Eric both agree there is a certain aspect of inflation that is healthy and that does incentivize long-term security and just long-term uh incentive i can agree with that i couldn't think of any but to be honest with you though i i really like they are they trying are, to do innovative i missed do things i missed what he said he cut out for a sec what token was it kujira oh okay uh, that's what i yeah. figured okay yeah okay. yeah yeah like I, I totally agree with that they're, they're doing some stuff differently which i can definitely appreciate that but to be very honest with you and like kim said like uh, probably eric's gonna say this too like i really can't think of any good ones <laughs> astrovolt that's uh, the AMM I'm building. Check out astrovault.io. Read my white paper. I know I talk a lot of crap on osmosis. I actually love the application. It's beautiful. And I, I just think that they um, they bested a broken model. Like just all the forks of Uniswap, all the AMMs built without revenue. Nobody really knew better, but we designed one that's just fundamentally different and can be a building block for much, much larger institutions to come and utilize DeFi because we have a, a solid a solid building block that won't collapse under any pressure like any other AMM would. I did read with me. I don't think I did. Oh, I had a hang, uh, tank on the reading. I did read it. I did read it. Oh, I, I, read it yeah. I can understand four pages in it. It's good. No, it, it, it is really good. You'll like it. You, um, I'll, if he doesn't have it handy, I have it right now. I'll send it over to your, uh, yes, your email. Send, send, it to, it. send it to me, Joe. Cool. And I did, I did have a mic come up from coin waters. Um, he has a question. And uh, I, I gave him the mic, but if you guys at the end, if we miss anything, I'll definitely give Kem, Eric, and of course, Tank a chance to, uh, to say what you got to say before we end. Yeah, thank you. This is, I'm so glad I, I found this tonight. I was just kind of uh, alerted and so glad. So I really appreciate you guys doing this because for those of us who are, you know, building chains to hear from, you know, Eric and Kim and others in this kind of forum where it's a discussion is just super helpful. So thank you. And most of all, you know, I hope uh, you continue doing these. And one thing I would say is that, you know, all of these topics get quite complex when you actually start doing your test nets and you start getting in there and you, you open Kepler and it has a thousand percent inflation and you're going like, what the heck? And then you realize that you can put caps in, in your Genesis. And then, you know, because you don't have enough staked, things go nuts and then it looks ridiculous. And so there's also the thing where, you know, your project hits a problem, especially public good in about year two and a half uh, because of the halving and the inflation going away. So I'm glad you guys talked about that too. Um, you know, we looked at 10 theme model just because it hasn't been tried maybe and see if that can extend the life a little bit more, but it's a trade-off between having the inflation to, um, to bring in the interest and then also to be able to bring up, um, you know, enough funding from within the actual uh, product to be able to offset what you're going to lose for future inflation. And so you kind of take your good estimate, you put it out there, let everyone kind of tear it apart, 
But the best thing about Cosmos Chains, and it, I think Eric alluded to it on the negative side, but the amazing part with the JSON files is that you can change this. I mean, you aren't locked in stone. And if you turn it into like never ending inflation with no max supply, then obviously that's going to have whatever ramifications. I like BNB um, because it has the burn mechanism. And I know, you know, Eric mentioned that as well. And the community can, can at some point decide that, you know, maybe there is a need to change it and maybe burn some of the token supply. Um, so that's nice to have as an option built in. And then, you know, Kanto's doing some interesting things with the, with the model. I, don't, I haven't had time to go all the way in it, but along the lines of like, if you ha hold a certain amount of, I'm not sure it's note or something of the token, then you're able to use, I believe, the service for um, uh, like no transaction fees. So the cool thing is that you know, the validators are very flexible. I know we talked about how it may not be profitable, but you wouldn't, they're all doing a public good themselves in a service because they're willing to, to um, take one for the team, so to speak, in the beginning and uh, just really, really have a lot of appreciation for, for the validator's role in all of these chains. So anyway, again, thank you for this call. I really appreciate it. No problem. No problem. Uh, Eric, you uh, want to respond? Yeah, Mike, thank you so much. Um, just, yeah, one thing to note, if you guys are designing these chains and whatnot, like I'm my DMs are always open if you'd like uh, a second opinion, but also I'm not really a fan of thirdening having 10 theme models. Like all of them kind of force a product to be self-sustainable on an arbitrary timeline. I prefer fixed inflation combated with deflation to have a lowering net inflation. And that then the net inflation will be lowered automatically. So um, that just in general, I think that that's a better, more sustainable model that's much more flexible based on like you don't really have control over when your product uh, gets more and more adoption, you can just fix it so that the more adoption you get, the um, higher the deflation is, the lower the net inflation is. Uh, wow, okay. Uh, there's always something to learn and I really appreciate it and definitely will take you up on that offer of your DM. So thank you for that. Hey, Sabi, how you doing, man? Hey, boys. Uh, good morning, evening, whatever. Um, hey, uh, Eric. Yeah, I was, I'm I'm with you. First off, like I think the correct answer, having like watched this long enough, is uh, a mixture of um, an inflationary model to help solve the problem of validator funding consistently, and then a deflationary piece so that uh, if you know economic activity is set up in such a way that essentially what amounts to a stock buyback, you know, if you look at like regular companies. Uh, can take place it's based on real world revenue and that can reduce the supply out in the market and that's a way to capture the revenue uh in the token price without actually having to pay out say for example a dividend which would be you know which is a different way to provide value to um, you know investors so i think the stock market has sort of like sorted that out to a large extent there's only so many ways to like magically move money around and and um and return that value to the holder of the equity or whatever um, the question I had for you, Eric, uh, ha what have you seen, like, wh what's the best model to incentivize, uh, liquidity provision? So the, this is a constant problem as well. We talked about it with osmosis. You got, you guys kind of alluded it, alluded to it in the sense that like, uh, inflationary DEX tokenomics or an arbitrary like timeline to like either like death or more inflation. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, capping that you know then basically makes people front run that in a sense and like people start going oh this is about to change and then you know they're they're going to modify their dex positions as a result so well, what have you seen that might be a model that allows maybe the the lp provider maybe like to get some fraction of like the staking rewards i think liquid staking sort of addresses some of this but like I don't know, any magic formula that you have come up with on this? Dude, you are a huge fan of AstroVault and you have no idea. I'm, I'm actually going to respond to the first part of what you said, and that's going to lean into how I, uh, how I answer your question. You were talking about how the stock market will do buybacks, and it's kind of like you earn revenue, and then you go and you buy this back. And what's great about crypto is you can actually make the way stock markets work, work far more efficiently. Um, by by pre-printing these rewards and then making it back up with the revenue by having that freedom. 
Uh, one analogy I like to use is like, if you have like one bucket of water and you need to put it in the other bucket, you can fill up that bucket of water and then you can pick up the bucket and pour it in the other one. Or what's more efficient is you can just turn on the hose in the other bucket and then pour out the other bucket. And then like, if you don't have enough water in the first bucket, you can put on the hose. And then when you get enough water, you can dump it out. Like if you have a hose, however you need to turn it off, like move it around. It's just much more efficient and less work. And crypto and, with and the freedom also, and of also yeah. I guess with that, you're like the, the monetary policies and code, as opposed to like the Fed or whoever, who's like has to meet and then like look at the economy and sort it all out. This would happen all, you know, automatically, which is ideal, right? 100%. And so then when it comes to uh, getting liquidity provision, which is a huge expense that all these different layer ones and layer twos, like everybody needs liquidity hosted. It's an expense where they're paying $15,000 a month for a market maker, or you're having to incentivize your own rewards on an AMM. Every product I advise, I'm like, look, this is a perpetual expense for liquidity provision. Well, perpe like perpetual expenses should be paid for from inflation. And so what we built with AstroVault was a way to retroactively solve everybody's liquidity problems through the inflation that they already have by lowering their by raising the bonded rate, lowering their um, inflation and everything by making non-auto compounding staking derivatives. So uh, people are have this idea of liquid staking. However, it's never going to trade anywhere near its actual like underlying value. You're always going to have to do an unbonded rate because the opportunity cost of doing that, uh, what we coined in our in our white paper, dilatory arbitrage is incredibly high. So like the higher the inflation, the further underneath its price it trades against. And it's always like two to 7% underneath its underlying value. With non-auto compounding um, staking derivatives, which will be included in Astro Vaults, we can force them to trade one-to-one -one so that the liquidity hosted on the AMM is paying for further and further liquidity. We can actually give out dividends. So if you stake the AXV token, you can stake it to earn Atom. And we relay the governance power. So we talked about the governance um, tokens of DEXs. They don't really govern anything. They're just built randomly. Well, with our governance token, you actually relay the governance power from the staking derivatives of the liquidity hosted, and you relay um, part of the staking rewards uh, that are being earned by those derivatives, which makes it a governance uh, token that governs a DAO-owned uh, autogenic treasury that governs the um, governance parameters of other layer ones and layer twos, and that yeah, basically has dividends. So uh, we, our governance token doesn't govern nothing. I'm still looking for the for the the, uh, the white paper tank. I'm going to send it to you though because I I remember no, I reading that. about this. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, cool. yeah um, Excuse if you guys could uh, check the jumbotron, the nest up above. No, jeez. Thank you. Yeah, you should kick up. He's been spamming. All right, that was the first one of the night. That's not that bad. We're an hour, we're an hour in, and that was the first one. When I when I do DeFi spaces, I don't let anyone get the microphone. I mean, uh, NFT spaces, I don't give anyone the microphone because it's just it's too much of that. <laughs> and Eric, I don't know what the flaws of this would be, but like, all right. So in theory, everyone who is a staker in a chain uh, should also have, in my view, kind of like a, a contributing component to the pro liquidity provision piece of that same chain. Like that, that to me makes sense. Because why would that necessarily be two separate groups? Um, and that way, like, you, you know, you're, whatever you're being rewarded for as a staker might be minus whatever is necessary for provision of liquidity. And then you have liquidity provision in perpetuity. And again, it's a scalable long-term solution where like that expense is paid for in, in some form or fashion. I think that's sort of what you're talking about, right? Yeah, so if I got to design a perfect world, inflation overall would be much lower, but hardly any would go to validators, some would go to liquidity provision, some would go to developers, some would go to content creators, everything that you're going to perpetually like have to spend would go to those. And then we'd still have deflation counteracting that inflation. Um, we don't live in that perfect world. We we inherited this where a bunch goes to validators. And so instead, we have to try to build those products that have these expenses and pay for it from the from the inflation that currently exists. So um, in essence, that's that's what we will do. Like takers are already paying the cost of liquidity provision. They're already paying at all the other costs. Um, just if the money goes the right places or not right now, they're just paying for infrastructure provision at an absurd rate and then struggling to like pay everyone else and it has to come from centralized points. 
Well, we, uh, we, we got a little bit into this tonight, but I'm sure this could be like an all day conversation as we get into specifics of, you know, Astro Vault or whatever, whatever token we want to uh we want to dive into but i think this was really good if I, i'll i'll let someone else ask one more question if someone wants to come up um but this was definitely good for me eric because most of our conversations are just like dms over several days as we go back and forth and uh you know it, it's good because i get to think about some of the stuff and i i have some ideas that i will run by you you know for for dexes specifically because i think dexes have the toughest time with their tokens um but yeah, anyone wants to come up just to say hi, that's that's cool too. I no, see you, Cosmos Spaces there. That's... You you know what I like to ask Joe? Uh, sure, sure. Eric and uh, Cam, if you guys would like to get together on Joe's channel or something like that and have a a longer talk about Astro Vault, like I would love to do that. Th that's no, supposed to happen. That's supposed to happen. I've, I've been slacking. I haven't done many videos just because I've been so busy. But originally, when Eric and I started talking, I thought we were going to do a, a YouTube video. And then I ended up going on his YouTube and then doing the spaces first. But we'll, I definitely would love to have a couple videos on Archway as it gets closer, especially. Hey, Joe. How are you? How are you? Hey, what's up, man? You got any questions for our guest today? Uh, just. Oh, man, if you're going to continue this space, I would start deleting the the spam on the... You, you, you can't, dude. This dude, like, littered it with thousands of it. I've been trying to erase it, and I went through it. They're just just don't look up. Oh. <laughs> There's yeah. only 89 left. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I just saw it now. Good Lord. All right. Well, on that note, <laughs> we'll... Uh, Listen, we'll we'll wrap this up, but this is not the end of tokenomics discussions, right? This is like ongoing. And I was telling Eric that sometimes at work, I just sit there for like an hour, two hours straight, just thinking about this. Like, like how is four hundred seventy percent APR good? How is you know um, thirty percent to the team, you know, that they could dump in six months? Good. Like I I think about this all day long, and it's <laughs> this was. I'm really happy that I got everyone on here together actually at the same time. Yeah, I actually just talked about this today on a uh, podcast. It was about, and this is in no way, I'm not, I'm not trying to to pick on anyone, you know, protocol. But like, for example, with Osmosis, I think right now their inflations are up 38% and staking rewards are about 24. So it, if you are staking 100% of your Osmosis right now, you're still getting diluted by 14% every time, you know, every epoch. So that's, that's something that's like a, something we're kind of become used to in this space, but not necessarily something that should be the norm. Um, they are trying to fix that by um, reallocating some of the liquidity incentives over to these stakers, and which I think actually makes sense at this point. Um, but yeah, it just, it's an interesting perspective that I don't think a lot of people pay attention to is what is your net yield? Are you, are you actually getting a negative yield just by staking? Because if that's the case, then you have to really consider why you're staking, right? Why are you providing security if you're better off holding it liquid? Yeah, no, you're right. And I think Stargaze is the same thing. I think stars are getting diluted if you're staking. I know it's really close, but it, it is there is a spread there that you're on the wrong end of if you're staking. But you know, lucky for me, I, I have all my stars assets and pictures. So I'm good. <laughs> I, I'm good. So but anyway, this is what I got at it tonight, right? Um the one thing that I've heard from Eric that I didn't even think about was that and this is like the lesson of the day max supplies will be basically canceled and you know the max supplies are just there to make everyone feel good and they're going to be either renegotiated you know behind closed doors or the devs will just leave because development is no longer incentivized that i never thought about um the one thing that i have thought about that i that i got out of this and i see like the, the four of us are kind of on the same page is that applications are products they should be making something that people want to actually use and and that can be profitable. Otherwise, you know, you're pouring your heart and soul into something that's just going to lose money for either yourself or somebody else. Right. And then Archway is going to, you know, take a lot of the mistakes of the past into consideration when they, you know, as the arch token is designed and also incentivize development on the chain at the same time. So this was, uh, this was really good. And um, Eric, I'll definitely, set something up would love if Kem and tank could join also we could talk about astro vault i'm going to reread that white paper you guys gave me something to do at work tomorrow which is awesome and uh thanks to everybody who stuck this out almost everyone that's here now was here in the beginning which i think was awesome and uh yep, i'll have another one of these 
next week for sure. Don't know the topic or the guest yet, but it'll be good. And uh, thanks again. See you guys. Right, thanks, Joe. Appreciate you having us on. And remember, layer one's commoditized block space. App chains are products and services. Right. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for having us on. Uh, stay tuned for Archway Airdrops. Woo-hoo. Woo. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether. That was DeFi 101, Episode 2, Tokenomics with Eric and Kim from Archway and Phi Labs, hosted by Cosmos Joe. Recorded on Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Now if you want to keep listening, head on over to TerraSpaces.org slash donate and show some support now. Put your hands up like you got a couple questions. Ain't no misdirection, just a bunch of flexing. All aggressive, insane from all directions. Smoke rolls in when I start a session. Plain canvas, blaze up the handlers. Rocking back and forth like I got the van stuck. Don't grind the clutch, mind your hush. Put your mask on and don't touch the antlers. Feeling untouchable when I'm on the verse. But in the universe, I'm just writing some words. Enticing these nerds while I'm laying out my memoirs. Like, remember when I had to fight the centaur? I'm a book nerd, let me take you on the journey Lost in the labyrinth, searching out the lost fern For certain, got the taxes included Acting like a writer, never felt secluded Just another fixed game of try my luck Go lighten up dog. it could always be worse Unless you're in the back of a hearse Then you're dead or putting in new speakers It's a toss up driver or just tweakers Don't stress yo, I've done the research Living life like a bunch of fucking lemurs It's a remake, off the cutting floor we take A little bit of poison and put it in the cheesecake Tastes great, less filling, less stress, more killing As he blew the cornerstone out the building And the blocks came tumbling down all humble Feels like we're drowning in a little puddle Rebuttal, I should be taking off in the shuttle Getting high in space with the Hubble